Okay, welcome back or welcome to Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure, courtesy of our friends at Bent River Sportsbook. And we got a lot to talk about. Eddie O and LSU part ways. Uh, as we record this thing, it's 9 a.m. on a Monday, getting out earlier this week. We'll see what happens with Washington State. There may be news. There's going to be news of some sort over the course of, the, I'd imagine, the next 24 hours. Uh, and we got college game day. Got to give them directions back to the West Coast. Come back to L.A., baby. Here we go. The Ducks and the Bruins at the Rose Bowl. And, Ted, we don't know who the best team is. So, I don't know, bro. Where do you want to start? There's a lot of places. All right. So, so we were all in uh, Boulder again Saturday for what – was a really nice day for Colorado, no question, and we will we'll get into that. But that was a really good feeling to see a young quarterback take a step, and and for Colorado to win a nice with all the fans there, great crowd. So that was terrific. And now we're all going, we're scattering after the game, and we're all listening to the night games or watching the night games. And at the end of the night, I'm going, what the heck is going on in our league? <laughs> Especially when you see Utah just smash Arizona State in the second half looking like the Utah kind of football teams we've been accustomed to seeing probably the first time this year we've seen that. And I sat there and I said, who this best team in our league? I don't know. We have six weeks to go right now. And I don't know who the best team in our conference is. So help me guys. Molinari, you're the brains of the operation. Who's the best team in our league right now? It's Utah, I think, but who knows after the games this coming week, that's, that seems to be the, the tune in the PAC 12. It's, it sort of shifts every week, but I'd have to say right now, at least from the second half of last week's game, it's Utah. How about that? Yeah, I'm with. I, it's it's tough for me, right? Like we we liked Oregon obviously early on. We liked the Bruins early on. Then here come the Beavs. ASU picked up some heat with the previous games before Utah. First half of the Utah game is twenty-one-seven at half. And then here comes Cam Rising, right? Here comes this defense. And I'm with you. After this weekend, Utah looks like the most complete team. And the way that they have played, I watched that one early this morning. Fellas, it was amazing. Think about what they went through for those that maybe have missed it. But they travel to, they beat SC, they go to Utah, have a practice on a Sunday, fly to Dallas, have the services for a fallen teammate, Aaron Lowe, and come right back in an emotional game. And it didn't even it wasn't it didn't look 21 7 at half i know that was the score but when you watch it like it felt closer you know there's a utah threw two picks in the first half nice plays by asu but they were moving the ball a little bit and they came out after half and i mean it was amazing what they did with their tight ends the movements the shifts the motions the physicality on defense asu had five drops i mean yeah utah michael i'm with you they today look like the favorite in this league and their schedule sets up for them to, to possibly win the league. Well, that's, that's the best part, right? They have, they have a favorable two teams that have real good schedules ahead. Now are Utah and Stanford. I don't know if Stanford's really going to be in a position to take a shot at the North, but those are the two teams right now. You go, wow, I wish I had those schedules. Well, speaking of schedules, we'll get to see Utah firsthand Four thirty Pacific PAC 12 network up at Oregon state coming up on Saturday. Both teams with a portion of the lead in their respective division. Pretty good. Pretty good game for us in an, uh, late October. Beautiful autumnal day up in Corvallis. And, and so what What I – and watching the second half of the Utah game, I'm with you guys, that second half. But I'm, I'm sitting there going, I said the same thing last week in the Safari Lab when I was watching Arizona State, and they looked like the best team. And that's what's so puzzling right now. So I'm worried a little bit from the PAC 12 standpoint, are we back to that moment where you have parody? You don't really want parody <laughs> the, because the college football ultimate college football structure right now does not reward parody. Well, I'll say this. Uh, we know how at least the narrative of the world works in college football. Yeah. And for the Oregon ducks, they have a similar opportunity this weekend. Like they had in week two, in week two, they went to Ohio state, a 9 a.m. game. They beat Ohio state without Kayvon Thibodeau. Kayvon Thibodeau in the second half, which was when he was eligible to play due to a targeting penalty. I think it was 11 pressures on 22 snaps pass pass. Like, yeah. dude, dude took over the game, Yeah. right? So, okay, you got the fellows from game day are going to be there. I'm sure UCLA is going to have everybody on that set. Oregon, all the hype. Like, my point is, like, there's another moment in front of the country in a weekend in college football where there's, you know, some of the top brands have buys. Can the Ducks 
do it against UCLA. I, I think it's going to be a great game. I think it's it's strength on strength, O-line, D-line, D-line, O-line, two quarterbacks that are similar in style. They're two buddies. They train and play chess together in the offseason. There's a bunch of nuanced conversations for, for the broadcast crews. I'm sure they'll talk about that. Uh, and an early game, 1230. So I think, Ted, to the point, like, if the Ducks make a statement, they'll make a statement, and I think they'll start climbing. And you look at their back half of their schedule – you know, Colorado at UW, Washington State at home, and then they go to Utah. Another big opportunity before the rivalry game against Oregon State. Yeah. And and I think are we down to the reality that Oregon is the only team in the pack right now that has a shot to be in the CFP and the Ohio State win being obviously the the major major bullet point. Yeah, I think I don't know what you think, Michael, but I think so. I think I think historical would say so. Right, no two lost teams ever made it. Utah, if they win it, to me, guys, I said this on Pac-12 After Dark on Saturday night when we got home was they remind me of SC when our friend Max Brown got put on the sideline and in came Sam Darnold. They went to the Rose Bowl with two losses and finished top five in the country. Like, there's a world if Utah wins and continues to win and beats Oregon at home and wins the league, like, and goes to the Rose Bowl. Like, there's a narrative like that, two lost team, and next year the amount of hype that they'll have will be great. Yeah. No, that it's right. I, I agree. History, like you, know, you said, history yeah. says that two lost team, very, very, very slim possibility. Maybe so it's time for eight. Back. Maybe we'll talk about that next week, but maybe it's time for that, that <laughs> well, eight team. And, and, it, and it's what college football still has right to me. This is the thing. I'm really happy for college football. And I, I think you, you, everybody's heard me pontificate a little bit on this before. That college basketball has lost the regular season, and they need to find a way to get it back. College football has not lost its regular season, and right now there's two things that we, one of them we saw, that are significantly impacting the Pac-12's CFP hopes. One is Jake Hayner, and and the other is Utah losing a heartbreaking overtime game in an empty stadium in Carson, California, to San Diego State. Those losses have taken those two teams out, likely of any CFP conversation, where they could still, both those schools could still win the Pac-12. Yeah. On a replay <laughs> review, in fact, down yeah. in uh, San Diego State. Yeah. Uh, you met, by the way, Pac-12 Network is available at the Rose Bowl, so that's a good thing. Um, and secondly, Ted mentioned parity. 45 different teams have been ranked this season now. Number 20, coming in the next, these three teams, first in the poll, or uh, first time in the poll this year, Purdue with their big win. Number 24, UT San Antonio, first time ever being ranked. Congratulations to the Roadrunners. And who's number 23, Yogi? The Pitt Panthers. Hey! Let's go. College game day almost went to Pittsburgh this weekend for their game, uh, which would have been interesting. How about this one, Michael? So I love that 45 teams have been ranked. How about this? 47 ranked teams have lost. And to over 20 point. to unranked teams. I do know that. I think it's 25, but I'm throwing that. I, I, I didn't double research that, but it's over 20 of those ranked teams lost to unranked teams. Yeah. And, and so, so from the CFP standpoint, from the Pac-12, we're saying, yeah, there is no precedent for a two-loss team. It's very hard for personally for me to envision any scenario where a Pac-12 two-loss team would be given the respect to be considered for that. Um, you also have Cincinnati hammering Central Florida against Saturday, and now you're seeing even the pundits back east are putting Cincinnati in their top two or three. So right now they're looking like a very strong, which – I'll tell you, I was on that one, but they're looking like a very strong yeah. to be the first power or first group of five, rather. They still have to run the table, but that's looking like a better bet each week. And because the Big Ten is right now sitting in a great spot, if you're going to have a one and even perhaps a two loss, perhaps on a two loss, Ohio State team might have enough juice because of their rep and the belief back east. That might be the one that could crack it, right? If you were saying, is there a chance or two loss Alabama team for that matter? Uh would be the ones I, I have a hard time seeing that hat coming out of the pack. Well, that, that's going to be the interesting part. You know, before our game over the weekend, I was, you know, we always go to the sideline and I got to bump into athletic director, Rick George, who's on the playoff committee. Mm-hmm. Right. And he tells me how, you know, his process, he watches all the games pretty cool. Like he gets all the coaches, all 22 copy and he, he does all the work and dives into it. 
to me, and we'll get into it if the situation bears, you know, appropriate, but I think conferences have to start Xing themselves out, right? So if you look at just, okay, Cincinnati, to Ted's point, if they win out, they're going to go, right? If they have one loss, I think they'll be out of this thing. And then you start going, all right, let's say Georgia runs the table and beats Bama in the title game. Is a two-loss non-SEC title going to get in over, a call it a two-loss Pac-12 champ? I hope not. Right, and that's going to be an interesting dialogue. And then the committee is going to say, "Well, is it best right now? Is it best body of work? What quality wins does Bama have versus, let's just say, a two-loss Oregon or Utah?" Like th- those things are all going to come to shape. Uh, I look at the Big Twelve as pretty interesting, right? I thought it, you know, look at Texas last two weeks, two losses where they crumble yep. at the end, and you needed them to have one of those wins just to have a one-loss team at this point at the top two with Oklahoma and Oklahoma State. So I think we'll track the conferences to see if there are two-loss conference champions or uh, if Cincinnati gets bumped and other conferences are just doing okay. I think that'll be the dialogue as we get closer yeah. and closer into November. I think if we have eight teams, we're still having these conversations. I don't think yeah. eight – I'm not saying go to 27, but I think eight <laughs> – you know, 64, that's too many. But eight, I still think all of these conversations happen. And I think these conversations happen for more teams. So I'm a massive eight proponent, no more than eight. No but more, I know huh? you have the problem with the larger bowls losing some luster like the Rose Bowl. And that's something that's, that's probably part of the negotiations right now is how to figure that out. I don't have that answer, but I think eight yeah. would help. You think eight and you don't like, so I hear 12 is going to be the number. Whenever this happens, TV, well, money. Yeah, I think as you as you go more than eight, you start to dilute the regular season. But I think you can still have as meaningful a regular season with eight. And I think it solves a lot of problems yeah. with the power five are in. And then there's three deserving teams that also get in. And I think that makes it more equitable so, for everybody. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this out to you guys, see what you think. And take a lesson from what we just saw happen in baseball. So baseball's expanded the playoffs. Baseball always hung its shingle on being the most meaningful regular season. So you had two teams that both won like 600 games play each other in a like quarterfinal, in essence, quarterfinal round. TV ratings through the roof. They loved it. TV loves it. And that's what's going to drive this. I just, I think that's why we'll ultimately, once we can get all the politics from what the Oklahoma and Texas cash grab and the SEC's bullying and ESPN trying to control everything. Once we get past all of that, it could get the sides to kind of work together. I think that's where we're going to, we're going to land on 12 and yeah, the bowls are going to get there. I mean, somebody said this to me the other day, somebody who's been in the college bowl business said this to me and it was smart. He said, I don't know why they just don't take the other 20 bowls and do the Molinari bubble thing. Just take, do 10 games in Orlando and 10 games like in Phoenix because they're not relevant to the local market. They're just TV shows right now. So just put them on in, in, a, in a nice, safe setting and have people go there and they can go watch three games in three days if they want. Fans, you know, make it into a kind of like we're talking about with the basketball tournament in Vegas. You go enjoy Vegas and you can watch a handful of basketball games while you're there. I thought that was an actually a really creative idea that I hadn't come up with. You know, instead of schlepping off to these, first, you know, places all over, outposts all over the country where the local f- impact of these games is no longer terribly great. Their TV shows treat them as such. Mm. That'd be pretty cool, especially if you spin it forward. To, imagine being at the next level, right? And now you're a scout or a GM or whatever. And you can come in and just drop into an area like, don't they do that in basketball? I mean, I know it's not postseason games, but they drop in and it's like their version of a combine. Mm-hmm. They can see everybody, everybody playing at once. Because um, the combine, you're not playing, right? You're just running in shorts and a t-shirt. So, So let me get this straight. I'd have to give up my trips to Shreveport and El Paso mm-hmm. to go hang out in Vegas for three days. I'm sorry. The weed Let me ponder bowl, that. I'll get back to you next week. The Weed Whacker Bowl, I think, has met its demise. <laughs> the free Sharpies in Shreveport were nice. I have to say that. <laughs> All right. Before we move on to the next topic, I want to let you a little, a little bit. Uh, I want to let you guys know a little bit about our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with Bet Rivers yet, now is the time. They are offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is they require just one playthrough to turn your bonus into cash money. And they have a new rush pay instant approval element where withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, and more reliable. 
with football season kicking off, and now we are midway through college football season. Get in on the action. Go to BetRivers.com today. Download the BetRivers iOS app. Of course, you need to be 21 years or older, and if you have a gambling problem, please call 1-800-GAMBLER. Okay, fellas, I want to go to the game of the week uh, in this league uh, from around the country. And Chip Kelly, former Oregon coach, and the UCLA current coach, he's got the Bruins playing well. They win against UW on the road, and they bring in Mario Cristobal. They welcome them and the Ducks into Pasadena. They had an extra day to prepare. They had a Friday night game, of course, against Cal. Mace Funa is expected back. Alex Forsyth is expected back. Uh, two huge parts of this game, in my opinion. Uh, and then you look at recruiting, the Cali flock, all the SoCal kids that went to Oregon, right? Kayvon Thibodeau being the poster child in that regard, but there's a lot of them. Michael Wright being one. Um, they've got a lot of talented players that have come from this region of the country down here in L.A. What do you, what do you think of this game? I, I got a bunch of strong thoughts, but we got to beat this one up a little bit because I think there's going to be big-time reverberations around the country after this game. Yeah, I, I think you set it up perfectly a little bit ago because of the stage it's going to be on. It's one of those games where the, the, the country will get a chance to actually see it and then talk about it after the fact called Pac-12 in the daytime. Not a bad concept. Um, so here's my take. Oregon has, you know, they've won every game but one, and the game they lost was, was a crusher and the game they shouldn't have lost. They certainly haven't looked overly impressive in any game other than Ohio State. Um, Anthony Brown heard booze Saturday night. Now, he did yeah. take them down the field. I mean, Oregon went down the field twice in the fourth quarter to come from behind and then hang on at the end to win against Cal. But, you know, we've been up there enough to know Oregon fans don't boo very much. And so that, to me, was – I mean, I'm sitting in the hotel room in Colorado listening. He's going, ooh. Wow, that's that's something. Um, we know Verdell's out and is not coming back. Is that you know, is is Oregon? I mean, this is the question I guess I'm getting to. You know, is Oregon positioned offensively to make the kind of run that we've been suggesting and you and ride that Ohio State win, survive the loss at Stanford, and be the ultimate conference champion? Are they structured to do that offensively? UCLA's defense has not been the kind of defense where you walk in there thinking, okay, they're going to smother me. So that that's kind of where I'm looking at this game to see, is this a game where Oregon can take advantage and just get out there and not have it be a fourth quarter sweat for them? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think if we look at Oregon, I think it's important to give a little context, right? Joe Moorhead doesn't coach in the Stanford game, coaches from the booth against Cal. Like, I wonder if they would say, hey, offensively, you know, they lost C.J. Verdell. They didn't have Alex Forsythe, as we referenced. Like, I wonder if we've, we haven't seen, like, the version of Oregon offensively that we've anticipated we're going to see the last couple games. And do they have a get-right opportunity against the Bruins? It's, it's going to be I – don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I look at this game, and Anthony Brown's got to be really efficient. You know, and they got to make plays down the field. They have to make plays down the field in the passing game because I think UCLA is going to move the ball. I still think they're the best O-line in this league. Uh, you go watch the UW game, guys. It was as creative a game as Chip Kelly's called all season long. They're spreading the offensive linemen out like wide receivers. They score a touchdown on one of those. Cam Brown and Sean Ryan's out there is like a split end blocking downfield. They run an inside option to Greg Dulcich, their tight end from Dorian. I mean, that final drive, Dorian goes eight for eight, and they just work their way down the field in as creative of a drive as we've seen from UCLA all season. So I think the Bruins are going to be able to move the ball. I think they'll be able to run the ball. So possessions will be limited, and I think the quarterback that can be most efficient with his opportunities down the field is going to win. Dorian hasn't necessarily done that this year in terms of Big, deep throws down the field. Didn't have Kyle Phillips over the weekend. Will they get him back? I don't, I'm not sure. We'll find out. It's only Monday here. Uh, Anthony Brown has had opportunities, right? They made some plays. Uh, Devin Williams made plays for him down the field. Can they continue to make them? I, I don't know. That's the question mark for me in this game. Two guys that um, are, are good buddies, but one of them's got to elevate to lead their team to victory. I, I don't know which one it'll be, but I like, I love, I love the matchup here. The folks that you referenced in the promo copy about two minutes ago, Yogi, yeah, they say that UCLA is going to win this game. So somebody knows something. That's wow. what we'll say. So anyway, I, I can't add. I can't add to what you guys have said, other than 
I think quarterback play is going to be the key as well. And like you said, the quarterback that makes a couple of big plays is probably going to side the game. Let me throw this out there. We raved rightfully so about Oregon's offense and Joe Moorhead in particular scheme after the Ohio state game. Where I mean, I guess my question bluntly would be, where's it been? And do they have something in the hip pocket they're holding for a game like this Saturday? I'll be interested to see that. The offense, their offense against Ohio State was fabulous. It was. And you know, it's interesting when you look at their season, right? Stony Brook the next week, you know, first half obviously was not impressive. Uh Arizona, uh, they finished really strong, right? The number I think it was 42-19 or something, but tight game. Stanford, we referenced earlier, they lose that game. Moorhead's not there. Bye week, off a of bye week against Cal, they look, you know, really efficient at times. Struggled at other times. So I, I, I don't know, Ted. Like, I, I don't know. I wonder if Oregon is the team that, because um, I think they're really confident. I think they walk into games, and I think their culture is really strong, and they think hey, we can go. We're gonna go win this game, yeah. and I want to see them hit the gas all game like they did at Ohio State. I go back to how we started this thing. The stage is set for the Ducks. They're going to be able to handle the atmosphere, the environment. I'd imagine it's going to be a great, great crowd. I'm sure the Duck fans will be there as well. Do they raise up and meet the moment? And and are they one of those teams that like need to go ha- have a moment to be met versus, hey, we're just going to plow through everybody? They haven't proven to be able to do that every week. Uh, this week, is just, this conference is a challenge to do that anyway. It's tough sledding, as we all know. Uh, so I, I look forward to that. Like, that's kind of what I might be, as we discuss this one, I might be most intrigued with. Like, can the Ducks raise up on a huge stage and be the team that we thought they were after the second game? So, so by the way, guys, we uh, have it set up because the game, the, the Rose Bowl is four hours prior to our game. Uh, we'll be in Corvallis. I have China D's big screen ready for us, okay? <laughs> well, Michael, you can break away at least for the first half from the truck. I'll still be there when it starts. <laughs> and, 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 and so we've got – and I've got six orders of rice ready, so we'll all Perfect. be good. Um, and, and so here's my other point about this game. Those flip to the side we don't talk about. UCLA's run the ball beautifully most of the year. Yeah. We talk about Kayvon Thibodeau, and we saw him dominate, as you said, pressuring in the second half against Cal. How's Oregon stop the run? And do they stop the run? When UCLA, I assume, is going to think they can do what they've done most often this year, we're just going to line up and use that O-line and our two big backs, and we're coming at you. Yeah, well, look, Noah Sewell, you know, I haven't watched every snap yet of every game on Monday, but of the ones I have, uh, he's your defensive player of the week. Hmm. Dude was awesome. 12 tackles against Cal. He's done it every week. I think he's going to be the best player in this league next year. It's him, and that's why Mace Foon. And Mace Foon is a big get for them defensively if he can come back. They need big bodies. I think their secondary is going to be able to play with the receivers. right? I think uh, a nice matchup is our friend Verone McKinley against Dulcich, Greg Dulcich. If you look at the tight end, safety matchup will be fun to watch. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's going to be front seven versus that that front of the Bruins. And I, I, I just love how Chip keeps you on your toes all the time. And while... Tim DeRuiter's team, they'll twist and stunt and move their D lineman. It's not like UCLA hasn't seen that, right? So it's going to be fun. Like, do they pass it off and they handle, hey, no problem. And all of a sudden, it's Britton Brown for seven and Zach Charbonnet for seven. And then seven in the fourth quarter becomes 17. And maybe there's a bust like we saw in the LSU game. I don't know. I I just think it's going to be a really intense game. Like, if we were calling this, I feel like it would feel like every third down, like the game was on the line. What I can't wait for is the pregame interview at some point when game day gets Coach Kelly and he just says, oh, no, don't even know this team. No big deal. No big deal this week. You know, that's his, he's going to, he will downplay the fact that he's playing Oregon and it'll be hysterical. What I'm waiting for in the interviews when they say, Coach Kelly, how do you feel about this 1230 kickoff? Oh, big smile there. Totally. I think his quote was, they're not happy in the Philippines. Uh, somebody sent me that i think he said i don't it was on a text thread Um, it's an early one in the galapagos as well Um, yeah well it'll be great whoever wins it it'll be great for them and their brand and recruiting it's it's a it's a huge stage uh for that all right so we gave that a a ton of time deservingly so uh let's let's move on um to a couple games it's gonna be a fun weekend i think in in this league uh for for a bunch of reasons friday night it's not the sexiest of games of course but I think we should give it a little bit of love. Arizona, 
winless. Host Washington clearly has struggled. Um, it's a Friday night in Tucson. Arizona's on the third quarterback of the year. Will Plummer, we don't even know who the backup is right now. Like it may be Jamari Joyner, uh, but here's UW. Uh, and I think our focus should, should go there a little bit. They're two and four. Some people that we know thought they'd go undefeated, right? I think Ryan Leaf said that. Uh, he thought they'd go 12-0 and on the season. They clearly aren't going to be 12-0. and what, what do you guys think about Washington? And, let let me know, steal the, Ted's the line. Yeah. Because what he said last week before our game, Arizona-Colorado, I think applies again to Friday night. One of these two teams is going to be smiling at the end of this game. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think the one thing – Arizona has got because we we had the graphic ready. They were in a lot of games late, last eight minutes within eight points. But what happened in the San Diego State game and what happened at Colorado? A special teams breakdown. Both times give up punts for scores. And it was like deja vu all over again. They give up two touchdowns in two minutes against San Diego State in the first quarter. They gave up two touchdowns in less than two minutes against Colorado. The block punt, the pick six. I think if Arizona can avoid special teams breakdowns, giving up the big play, they got a shot to be in this. But if they do, I think it's going to be hard to to take that gut punch. Um, so hopefully they will have a clean special teams game and be in it towards the end and maybe get a chance to win it. Yeah, I feel I, I referenced this on the air Saturday, having been around some teams that have gone through something like Arizona is going through right now in the past. I've heard coaches talk about this. And what you fight is that moment happens that you just talked about, Michael, and you look at everybody in the sideline and they go gumby shoulders on you. <laughs> and the, the phrase I've heard before is losing can become a habit. And that's the thing you fight. And for the Arizona players, Jed Fish and his staff have only been there this year. But for the players that have been through two, three years of this, that's what you're fighting, isn't it? Right. Make sure. Yeah. And that's why it's so to me so vital. They just get a win. I don't care how it happens. Just win a game. Yeah. You know, I thought uh, we said it in the broadcast, too. I really appreciated what Jed said to us before the game. And it's accurate of a lot of what they did in the offseason when he got there and, to be blunt, injected some life into the Arizona yeah. football, masked a lot of the realities that we're seeing play out on the field right now. Right. So all the excitement, the alums, the Teddy Bruschi, the Gronk, like all the stuff that was around the fans, the DJ, um, it brought life back to the program. And you sh- it, it proved that people in Tucson care about football. But their, their players right now are just overmatched at times, and the, and the margin for error is so small. Uh, so, so, yeah, you're right. So let me throw in here one of Molinari's idols I just heard, Jeff Van Gundy, talking about – he was being asked about the importance of coaching in the NBA. He goes, let's face it, it's about talent. I mean, really, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he said. Then at some point, you know, you can take talent, make it work right and all that stuff. But if you don't have talent and that's where watching Arizona Saturday in person for the first time for me, that's what I saw. Exactly that. They just yeah. right now, that's the biggest challenge through the various means you now have in college sports for 2022. That talent level has to and he knows it has to rise. Yeah. Well, okay, good- so let's. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, just because I had a good thought, Yogi. I got to jump in yeah. when I have one of those. Um, by the way, do I have to be on After Dark to get one of the Deschutes hats? Because I would like one of those. I'll make an appearance. I'll, get, I'll hook you up. I'll get you. <laughs> I'll make an appearance. <laughs> uh, never mind. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I thought that was a good. That was the good thought. That was a good was point. A good actually, that was a better point than the one I was going to make. Take it, Yogi. <laughs> I was going to say, speaking of talent, um, we saw uh, finally quarterback at Colorado, Brennan Lewis, showcased the talent that the coaching staff talked about all the mm-hmm. time. And I, I think it's important to show him some love. Colorado loses to SC two weeks ago. We walk out of there saying, I don't know. And the staff walks out of there saying, well, we don't know. They go to their bye week. They give the backup Drew Carter a boatload of reps. Uh, Brennan Lewis feels his job being threatened and obviously rose up. He looked good. Like I look at this Colorado schedule, guys. And heading into this game, I was like, all right, this might be the game that Colorado can go get. But they go to Cal at 1230. Then they have Oregon, Oregon State, UCLA, UW, and Utah. Like, they're not easy games at the end. But if this dude can make plays, their defense is – they're a solid Pac-12 defense, in my opinion. I don't know. I walked out of there being like, okay, I'm going to be excited to call the Buffs again this year. Because I think there's some excitement around the program with Brennan Lewis. 
he was he was excellent in the post game interview too. He really showed me mm-hmm. something. Hopefully, some people got a chance to see that. But he was comfortable and engaging, and it, that was. I I was obviously impressed with him on the field, but I was equally impressed with him after the game in uh, in the way he represented himself at the interview with you after. And I'm going to step even back wider than that because everything you guys said about Brendan Lewis is accurate. Um, Colorado football got dealt a terrible hand. And Carl Durrell was the guy, and he walked in eyes wide open, so he understood, but he walked into a really tough position. And, you know, and what I've noticed so far, what exactly we found out that Mel Tucker had a very casual understanding of the word commitment. Carl Durrell has that understanding, and that's what you hope for Colorado football. So that it goes forward <laughs> because I thought it was fascinating that in the aftermath of the LSU news, that name was thrown out there as one of the names that the pundits back in that part of the country tossed around for LSU was Mel Tucker. Mm-hmm. SEC strong SEC roots, obviously. So anyway, I was happy for Colorado because I think what Carl Durrell, who has, we've talked about this with him a few weeks ago when we were there, military background, military upbringing, understands commit, understands, you know, stay with the program. And, you know, it was rough when we were there a couple of weeks ago. We knew that much better game. And now if they can take that, and as I kept saying, launch pad game for Brendan Lewis, right? Now yeah. he's not going to, Anyway, just use that as a launch pad and be thou, be the guy for the rest of the year for Colorado. Okay, so let me have my soapbox moment of the yeah. of the day. Ah. Today. Um, and and I think and I feel very strongly about this. Okay, Ted, for the Colorado fans, for the Arizona fans specifically that are lighting up your message boards and social media right now, your coaches aren't going anywhere, and when you go negative. Prior to our game, at least the Colorado fan base has, not not entirely, but there's a degree, as we all know, you're not helping anything. You're not helping recruiting. You're not helping the program that you love. So just take it from the guys that are talking to these staffs and in the rooms. I get it. We feel it. Flip flip the, the frustration to optimism. It, it needs to be that narrative as you're attracting players because Colorado's got to go beat a bunch of schools to get – some difference makers. Arizona's got to go beat a bunch of schools to get some difference makers. And to Ted's point, they're just getting off the tarmac. Like they're just getting going. They're nobody. Carl Durrell's not going anywhere. Jed Fish is not going anywhere. So pump the brakes on on some of the negativity. Uh, that, that that's my moment. All right. Wow, you uh, have, you have a tough act to beat today, Michael. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good, okay. Yoke. <laughs> Before we get to that, Ted, we I mean, we got to talk about a game that you know very well. I know decently well. We got the Trojans going to South Bend. <laughs> we got Jack Cohn bench after the first quarter. In comes Tyler Buckner, Mr. Elite 11 quarterback for the Fighting Irish. They beat up former Pac-12 quarterback Braxton Burmeister, right? Close game, but he's at Virginia Tech now. Mm-hmm. He was once an Oregon Duck, uh, once an Arizona commit. How about that? Um, what, do you, what do you think of this game? SC... If history, I think it's the third time in the last five meetings in South Bend, they've had an interim head coach. They have another one. What, what do you what do you think? This game's not getting a lot of play nationally, right? Well, it would it would had Notre Dame beaten Cincinnati, but I think yeah. that that loss took Notre Dame out of the CFP conversation at least for now. So I think that that's part of it. Look, it's um, I haven't checked because the um, the history of this game, it's always played in October in South Bend because USC wants it then. <laughs> Yeah. For weather, USC doesn't want to go back in November and run into, you know, run into winter weather. Uh, there was a year when John Robinson, my friend, not, I used to call him Uncle John. He's not really my uncle, but it was one of the nicest people I've ever met in football. When John was coaching, the Trojans went in there and there was a little mid-October squall that came through and you looked down at the field and you saw the USC guys. Oh my God, I want no part of this. It's kind of like a game, Michael and I did this game years ago. In Pullman, Arizona State went to Pullman to play a night game in November. It was when Dennis Erickson was the coach. And it was a Pullman, and it was a night game. So it was chilly. And you looked down on the field, and you saw the Arizona State guys, and they were ran out to start the game. Well, what the heck are we doing here? And they okay. played that way. So anyway, my, my, my who's going to be the quarterback for USC? That's my first question. I'm sure that's been Brian Kelly. He's been asking his staff that, you know, see, see what you can find out. Give me some intel. Do you think Dart will play? What do you think, Yog? I think Slovis is the starter. Okay. I think if Jackson Dart's healthy, 
I don't know how you can't have a package for him in the game. Uh, and then we'll see. I mean, I don't, I don't know. You know, like he's coming off of his injury, obviously. Uh, that place is a little different than Pullman to go play. As, as Ted, you know, I remember my first snap there. I remember it like yesterday still to this day. Yeah. And you look around and you're like, you have that moment. You're like, damn, this is Notre Dame Stadium. Like, I don't care who you grew up cheering for. Like, you know about Notre Dame Stadium and Notre Dame football and NBC Saturdays. So I don't think he's going to start. That's just my gut. Yeah. Um, here's what I think. And Yogi, this ties into the point you just made. Uh, what I think for USC, if I were in the Notre Dame side, I would be a little bit concerned about this. USC has had three really poor home games, right? I mean, yeah. it's shocking. USC's lost three conference home games and given up 40 plus in each of them, which is un unfathomable. Booing to apathy to just, I mean, there was nobody there at the Utah game. You could see the stands. It was sad. They're going to have a lot of positivity in the stands. Now, it's all going to be directed to Notre Dame. But I think if I'm a player, I would like that if I'm USC, playing at home before an apathetic, right, half-empty Coliseum versus being at 80,000 seats where most of them are rooting against me, but that's okay. It's energy. Now, I've not been a player like you, but I would think if I'm a, a player, I would prefer that. Yeah. And this one's so fun. Like, this, the, the band is, like, right on you. Like, it's such a close environment there as a player that you – that it even gets heightened more of like, it's just the, what, what is it, Ted, 72? Is that what you're allowed to travel? I know there's a non-conference game, but somewhere around there. Well, yeah, we asked that question. It's low 70s is the number. Well, no, this is non-conference, right? So that yeah. rule wouldn't that rule doesn't exist. So whatever Dante Williams chooses to bring, it'll right. be 70 plus players. And, and they'll like that in this yeah. environment. That's what I they'll, would they'll, think. Yeah, I think so and, too. And, and, and here's the other point. It's, it's a, I shouldn't even say, is it a night game? Uh, it's 4.30. Yeah. 4.30 Pacific time, right? 4.30 Pacific. Yeah, so it'll yeah, be so it's a, a night game in South Bend. So trust me, there will have been a lot of apple juice and orange juice. <laughs> <laughs> so the crowd will have a little extra juice in it. 56 degrees the high, by the way. That's pretty good. That's a, that's pretty a, good. That's a very good mid-October day in South Bend. Back to that game in Pullman, the last thing image I have is the great Akbar Bajibayamila, who was our Sattler reporter at the time, <laughs> in the Russian uh, fur cap doing the post-game yeah. interview. And yeah. I think that launched him into superstardom where he is now. Yeah. So Akbar, this, congrats. Michael and I are talking. This was before we were with Yogi. But um, I remember vividly, because it was a night game and it was chilly, and I looked down during the warm-ups and there's Vontez Perfect with no mm -hmm. shirt on, just wearing his tights. Tights, pants out there for warmers with no shirt. And I'm thinking, dude, let me see how long this lasts. And Vontez perfect in the game, complete no-show. Complete no-show. I mean, I don't know if he had a tackle. It was awful because his guy was so talented and everybody knew it. And you could tell he thought he was going to be a real tough guy with the cold. <laughs> he was when somebody hit him the first time. Nah, yeah. not so tough. Okay, so here's my thought on this game, guys. If you're at SC, if you come to LA, I believe anybody who comes to LA for the first time, they hit the four or five freeway and they're like, whoa, what is this? Especially when it's wide open. It's four or five lanes. It's crazy. It's going fast. That, that's what SC has been mm -hmm. since they got rid of Clay Helton, I think. Like, it's just kind of playing catch up. They finally get to take a bye and get a breather. Granted, it was coming off of a, a challenging loss to Utah where they, they get rolled late in the, you know, really the first two plays, of the first couple plays of the third quarter and the game's over. But when you break down their games, whether it's Oregon State, Utah, Stanford, the home losses Ted referenced, there's moments where they're moving the ball well. They're running the ball well. Right? They're controlling and dictating terms within the game. And then two or three plays and it gets out of whack. Right? It's a bad turnover. It's, it's just something and it just compounds and it's a wrap. Frustration we saw with an interception. Drake London, of all people, got a 15-yard penalty in the Utah game uh, when you just felt the frustration mount. If they could somehow eliminate self-inflicted wounds and play clean football, I think there's a real world where they can go get this win. And, and, and there's another name that I think is important. This is national TV. You know, a lot of the country will pay attention. You don't have to go search for which channel it's on. Everybody will be on NBC, big NBC, Drake London. So it's an individual thing. You're not a team thing. But Drake London, what we've seen is absolutely on my Heisman scorecard right now. I don't know where, but he's at least on the on the card. He has a big game this Saturday 
that the nation sees that. I think that elevates in a season where USC is not going to be in any conversation, but Drake London could be. Yeah. Historically, there's been some Heisman moments with Notre Dame involved in the game for both them and the opponent. So, Amen. I remember, uh, a, I remember a punt return once that catapulted somebody. So, yeah, I heard happen. of that. Carson Palmer won his Heisman right at the Coliseum, basically a long yeah. time ago. Just inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Hey, um, uh, as as we're talking here on Monday, you know, Washington State absolutely has put together a couple of nice weeks in a row here. And, and I said this last week, I, I got to say it again. I watched most of the second half of the Stanford game. Shaden Delora, I've got to give the guy props, man. He competes. He competes his tail off. And he's had two really good second halves in a row of putting team putting his team up and down the field to win some games. The Cougs, they're at least in the mix. Now, they have still have three road games ahead, so their schedule is not favorable. But they're at least in the mix. And this week, they play BYU. And I'm sorry, somebody in this league has to beat BYU. Yeah. <laughs> and there's two teams left, the Cougs and then USC on the final weekend. BYU's already, already 3-0 and against the Pack. So to the macro view, again, of how this league is looked at nationally, somebody has to beat BYU. Why not let it be the Cougs and Pullman this week? I'll tell you what, if you're a Pullman season ticket holder, the last two games, you've gotten your money's worth with yeah. score changes, lead changes, I mean, the third and fourth quarters of the last two games in Pullman have been absolutely in, incredibly entertaining. Yeah. So hopefully it'll be a shootout with BYU and, and the Cougs come out on top. And now we're talking on Monday as we're doing this. So we don't know yet what the resolution of the Rolovich situation is. Um, I would say we were there last weekend. We had a lot of conversations. Yogi's we've had a lot of conversations with Pat Chun, the athletic director. Um, we know two things. We know one is that it hasn't affected the team. Just see the way they played the last two weeks, right, Yog? And secondly, yeah. you know, Pat Chun has had, he's been dealing with this for a while. And so he has had a lot. And as we're talking now, we don't know again the resolution, but we know he's had to deal with an awful lot. Yeah. And he's created a variety of contingency plans for this. And I think for the Coog fans listening, uh, you're going to be okay in that regard. For the players and their families that may be listening, you're going to be okay. And, and that's the thing that after talking to Pat Chun when we were up there and, and since then, his whole lens is like, I got to take care of these guys, as in the players, right? It, it's, not, it's not his decision on what may or may not happen with Nick Rolovich. I mean, it's, it's way above just an athletic director. I mean, this is clearly, as we all know, up to uh, the state government and the laws around, you know, places when you're, where you're a state employee. So we'll see how that shakes out. But I'm confident that Pat Chun looks at this team and says, we got a hell of a team. We got to make sure that whatever happens here, we give them the best opportunity for success. And and I think when you look at this team, they should have beat Utah State, right? Like you you look at their games, Utah had on the ropes, right? You watch the film back. If you don't see the touchdowns, you'd think that they won the game. So my point is that at four and three, this is a team that easily could have one loss on the season. So. I, I'm really curious to see how the players, to Ted, to your point, handles this week. Here we are on Monday. Something's going to happen today. Um, how do they handle Tuesday practice? How do they handle new coaches coming in? Right? You got you to have people coach positions. Right? How do they manage that? Um, I'm going to go, if I was calling, I'd say, hey, uh, Ron Stone Jr., what's it been like leading this team? Like You go to those guys, Liam Ryan, Abe Lucas, Max Borgie, the vets, and say, okay, this is where as Nick Rolovich has told us, his goal was to make it a player run program. He said they've gotten there. So now the players really need to take hold of that this week and moving forward. Cause they got a chance to have a, have a special season in very unique circumstances. So that's kind of where I'm at with them. And I'm with you, Delora balling. Uh, <laughs> that dude is fun to watch. And we got to give on the football front, Jake Dickard, a boatload of credit because you go watch the end of that game willie taylor ron stone brennan jackson this defensive front was awesome to finish it off against stanford uh, and tanner mckee and, and okay. frustrate and frustration for stanford because they had a chance this was this could yeah. turn out to be a could turn out to be a, a real painful loss for them because stanford is the flip stanford has an extremely favorable schedule coming home this is their home heavy year and their road games were all front-loaded so they only have one road game left the rest of the year. 
and they've got a chance. So unfortunately, they now have too many losses in the conference, uh, but they could still and, and could have a major impact in who does end up playing in the championship game. It's, it's such a great call, right? Like they're up 31-27, an awesome individual play by Austin Jones with 17, 17, 7 minutes and 17 seconds, excuse me, remaining in the game. They get the ball back. That's Stanford, that's just where they just take the life out of you. And they couldn't do it, right? They had to punt. They'd give the ball back to Washington State. Uh, so you look at them with a bye week now. I wouldn't be shocked, guys, if they if they ran the table in the league to finish the season. UW at home, Utah at home. Ted referenced the home schedule. They go to Oregon State and Cal in the big game. Cal at home. Cal at home. Like I, I wouldn't then, be shocked. And then Notre Dame at home, which would yeah. be a cred game. It won't impact the conference, obviously, but that's what I'm saying. They have four of their last five at home. Yeah. It's, it's, I guess we, we end where we started, right? Craziness. We have no idea. <laughs> Both multiple teams can can. But that's what makes it fun, team. right? That's what yeah. makes it fun. You have no idea any time we we go into a game. Amen. All right. So this is what makes it fun for us, and this is where you know I'll be honest. Uh, I don't know if this is going to make it your humanity moment, but we heard from uh, a listener this past week from uh, uh, somebody who listens to the game, Terry Layton, a good friend of ours. It's awesome. He uh, he always waits for the humanity moment of the week. So for all of you listening, we're about to get to it in a minute. Uh, but I want to let you know about the Field of 12 Media, a brand new podcast and digital media network covering college football by people who know it best. Brought to you by Shoot Your Shop Productions, the folks behind the Field of 68. The Field of 12 gives you insight into the game we love by people who have lived it. In the Big 12, Trevor Knight and Bryce Petty, they got that thing unlocked with the two Oklahoma schools playing well. Joshua Perry, Christian Hackenberg are covering the Big 10. Is it Michigan's year? I don't, I don't know. They look pretty good. Uh, Max Starks, Clint Sterner own the SEC. Uh, looks like Georgia owns the SEC right now. Uh, we have Harry Douglas and Cody Sensenbaugh on the ACC referenced earlier. Hail to Pitt. And, of course, we got you every week in the Pac-12. Check out all the links below, every social platform. We got you covered. The field of 12 where college football happens. Michael, let's let Syracuse the Syracuse uh, is in the moment. ACC as well, by the way. Number yeah, one. they they yeah. and they let it get away. They <laughs> know, let it they get did. away. When did that happen? <laughs> they did. Yes. Uh, number two, Yogi. The last time I saw the four hundred five wide open was Christmas morning, driving to a Lakers game. So I'm not sure where, hey, what time you drive. Pandemic. Okay. It was wide okay. open. All right. All right. All right. Fine. Uh, you mentioned Terry, uh, the great official who's now a replay official. So we were on our every week. We have a Zoom with the refs and the replay officials. And so I finished up, we run through all the stuff and Terry says, and, and now it's time, right? I go time, time for the humanity moment. <laughs> I was just like, he got me good. And I think the two things that shocked me about that was someone's listening and someone's waiting all the way to the end. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty. No, impressive. no, you Maybe know, Ter- you know, Terry Tate pulled me aside. So listen, actually I skimmed to the end. Okay. He, skips. he skips. So anyway, uh, great moment we had this week. We got to talk to Gunnar Cruz on Wednesday. We get a chance to talk to players uh, via Zoom with the visitors sometimes. And I know it's sad. uh, Finger injury, probably out for the year. But what I did find out from that conversation was, one, that whatever he does, football or wherever, he's going to be a success. You just got that sense. Well-spoken, incredible student. And then we probed a little bit, like we do. Why is that? Well, one big reason, his mom, Amy, is a teacher a second grade teacher. Uh, I asked, I got a chance to talk to her. We saw someone in a Gunner Cruz Jersey. So I was like, I got to find out if that's her. So I went down and spoke with her uh, uh, in the stands about an hour before the game. And I asked, one thing I did ask her was what's it been like for you during COVID? And she gave me about a two minute answer. And the thing that shocked me was she never used the word I or me. It was always my students, the parents, And that's the great thing about teachers. They're selfless. They're not selfish because you couldn't be a teacher unless you were selfless. So I want to take a moment to honor my elementary school teachers. And it always shocks people that I remember them all. But anyway, kindergarten, Miss Heldman, help me to read. What could be more important? First grade, Mrs. Irby, more energy than Yogi Roth. How about that? Second grade, Mrs. Rizzo who taught me the modern-day hieroglyphics cursive writing. Third grade, Mrs. Lyle, 
my first experience with someone who was tough but fair and a lasting, a lasting help for sure. Fourth grade, Miss Townsend. Love geography, as does my wife. So when my wife tells me where we're going this summer, I actually know where it is. Thank you, Miss Townsend. <laughs> and fifth and sixth, Miss Renkevich, Miss Leahy. The toughest job you can do is guide a bunch of 30 students as they blossom into parent or blossom into adulthood, trying to teach them while they're focused on other things. But anyway, the uh, I think the most important things about teachers is the good ones provide the tools for you to be successful. The great ones influence you and let you believe that you're going to be successful. And that's, I circle back to Mrs. Irby. Uh, one of the proudest moments of my young elementary school career was I won the checkers tournament. I survived in advance and I faced off against Mrs. Irby in the final with all the students huddled around. And I won. And it gave me some confidence to believe that, yeah, maybe, maybe I was gonna be something. And now I look back, I wonder, did Mrs. Irby let me win? I don't know. One thing I can say is she would never say. Thank you, Barbara Irby. Thank you for your life. Mrs. <laughs> Mrs. Irby is the one that had more energy than Yogi. That's true. So I'm assuming she started every day with how great is school? <laughs> she may, I believe she did. <laughs> That's cool. It is fun meeting all the people involved in this, huh? Like the parents and seeing where kids come from and their origin story and learning yours. Now, now we know we got good stuff for the road, man. We got good stuff. Great teachers. Uh, teachers are the most underappreciated aspect maybe of our society, honestly. And I, at least I remember them all. Well said. Well said. All right. Alice, well, here uh, we come. Corvallis, here we come. I'll tell you what, they got a heck of a teacher in Jonathan Smith. They got the bees rolling. Uh, can they bounce back from a loss two weeks ago? And can Utah keep it going? We'll have you covered on the Pac-12 Networks. Make sure you lock that puppy into wherever you watch it, whether it's Sling or wherever you get Pac-12 Networks. It's available 4.30 Pacific. For Michael and Ted, I'm Yogi. Thanks for joining us. Much love. Stay safe. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.